Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. It seems kind of strange to be concluding our series this morning a little different because we started it nearly two months ago uh, and we did the first three lessons here together in person and then we had three lessons uh, remotely and now to be concluding it, it feels like it happened really fast but it's really taken us a, a couple of months and I hope that it's been helpful to you and enjoyable and encouraging We began with asking this question, what makes us different? And we started with the concept of the biblical principle that we are called to be different. We're called to not conform to this world. And we looked at Christianity and the landscape of the world religions and how it is unique and how it is set apart. We looked at our own movement, the Churches of Christ and the American Restoration Movement and how we've gotten to where we are now and we've looked at our history a little bit, and then we took a few weeks and discussed some key characteristics of our church, things that we teach and things that we practice that are different than those around us. And we looked at that and and celebrated that so that we can better understand why we're unique and why that's a beautiful thing, that some of these conclusions have been arrived at by really diligent study and a desire to please God and and to follow after what he is calling us to. And I think that's wonderful. So we conclude today by asking the natural follow-up question to all of this. If we've looked at where we're going, or where we've been rather, and we look at where we are, the natural question next is where are we going? And that's what we're going to ask this morning. Where are we headed as a church, as Christians? And where are we headed as a movement? And what does that mean for us? I don't think there's any secret that In the history of our movement, though it sought to bring about unity and the fellowship of all believers and to avoid and reject the sectarianism that had overcome Christianity at that time, this movement itself has produced its own sectarianism, its own division, more and more. And it's something that we have to acknowledge and accept has been a fact of our movement, that greater division has resulted from it. I don't really get this response a whole lot uh, living here as much because the Church of Christ, that name doesn't doesn't mean as much here. It's not as familiar, not as densely populated uh, as it is where I grew up. But when I would tell people in the past, well, I go to the Church of Christ or I preach at the Church of Christ, there's almost this little bit of recoil. And they go, oh yeah, you're the ones that think you're the only ones going to heaven. (laughs) And I used to really be puzzled by that response. Because maybe I'm a little naive, but I didn't grow up being taught that, and I didn't grow up in a church that that preached that, and I didn't grow up believing that. And so I always wondered, why do they think that about us? I've never heard that. Now, I will admit, as I've gotten older and encountered it more often, we have had some brethren among us that have taught that, that have believed it, and at the very least have acted like it. And whether it's because of our own doing or because it is a criticism levied from the outside in an attack on us, criticisms are criticisms and they linger and they stick for a reason. 
Somewhere along the line, that became the perception either of ourselves or of outsiders that we hold this view, that we think we're set apart, special, and that we've gotten everything right. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that that is a legitimate concern and criticism, and we have to acknowledge that recoil that people have sometimes when we tell them about us and our movement, because what we are today doesn't always reflect the history of how we got here. So the question is, what do we do about that? This is where we're going, right? What do we do? What is the future of this movement, of this idea? There have always been those in the churches of Christ and in the restoration movement that have held fast to the original concepts and desire that we would find a way to unite and fellowship all believers. They still exist today, and they're still active today in our churches, and there's some there's some direction, there's some, some movement, some inertia that way, but it faces an uphill battle in, in getting there. There has been a push in recent years to say, maybe we need a new name. Maybe we need to set this name aside. It's become too tarnished, and we need to operate under a new banner, a, a new name, a new title. I tend to resist that idea and reject it, because what good would a new name do if the same attitude still exists. How many times in our own movement have new names been taken by groups that would split off and they continue to split and fracture and divide as well? Name doesn't solve the problem. Rather than replacing the name, I would advocate for redeeming the name, for working to recapture that original spirit of those who led our movement who found in Scripture the pattern and the direction for this movement to be welcoming and acknowledging all believers as children of God while teaching and pursuing the best they could understand the truth of Scripture. So how do we do that? How do we redeem our name? How do we get further down this road to making us what we ought to be, to following after what Scripture describes as the Lord's church? I think there's a few things we need to do. First, we need to do what we've been doing. We need to know our history. We need to understand where we've come from. We need to know about Thomas Campbell and about Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. And we need to know about the history of the church from, from the book of Acts on through the epistles. We need to understand how not only the Lord's church got here in its very, very origin and early days, but how God's people since then have sought to shape it and follow after it and pursue what Scripture teaches. We have to know where we've come from and know how to discern what is the invention of man and what is the truth of Scripture. We have to know our history. We also have to embrace the mission. Embrace the mission of Jesus Christ. We have to live according to the Great Commission. We have to keep as our central focus the words of Jesus as he prepared to leave this earth when he said we should go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone, and to teach them to obey what was commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We should follow after the Great Commission and take on the mission of Christ. This idea is also uh, something that... that uh, I, from a, a book that I find very interesting. Reggie McNeil wrote a book called Kingdom Come, and it deals with how we think about church. And he put it this way, an alternative approach. Why not just do what the church should be doing? 
partnering with God in his redemptive mission in the world, and let the overflow of that effort bring about the renewal we're looking for. Obsessing over fixing the church has created a church-centered storyline that not only misses the point, but also often runs counter to the narrative that God intends for us to live into and out of, namely, the saga of the kingdom of God. I think those are pretty wise words. And I think that's what our restoration movement was all about. And I think that gives us a little bit of an idea of where we ought to be going, because that's what we find in Scripture. We are carrying the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to do so with a diligent heart that puts God at the center of everything we do, not simply a church, not simply a name. We've got to embrace the mission. We also have to embrace and not erase the differences that exist amongst Christians. We do disagree on some points with other Christians, and they disagree with us. We do things differently than some of them, and they do things differently than us. We have to somehow come to an understanding that these differences exist and an appreciation for them and find a way that we can acknowledge and work with one another in spite of those differences. The words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, say this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to persevere the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What does Paul not say there? He doesn't say fix all your differences. He doesn't say agree on everything. He says see to it that you have unity in spite of those things. Find a way to be together. Find a way to work together. Find a way to accept one another even though you may not agree on everything. It's hard to get human beings to agree on everything. We can't build a church on the premise that we must agree on every item before we move forward. So we have to find a way to embrace our differences without erasing our differences acknowledging and accepting without ignoring, to be able to discuss openly and honestly these finer points of Scripture and doctrine. When I was growing up and the conversation would, would enter into uh, the public arena about equality and race and things of that nature, there was a term that was often used called colorblindness. We need to be colorblind. And the idea was that we should see the person and not their race. We shouldn't see black and white and Latino and Asian or whatever. We should see the person. We should be colorblind. And now we're starting to learn and hear and understand from these communities that they don't want colorblindness. They want us to be very well aware of their differences while still providing an equitable world for us to live in. Because when, what we sought to do when I was growing up, when I was younger, which was to ignore what was different and only see what was the same, there was something sacrificed and something lost in the story of those communities when we did that. And so we're starting to learn that what is desired by these communities is for us to acknowledge, understand, and be able to converse about our differences while still embracing our differences. We are equal as human beings 
though we come from different places and have different stories and experiences. Color blindness was what we thought could get us there. And we're finding that color blindness is not what's desired, but awareness and still love and acceptance. We have to do that in our differences with one another as Christians, acknowledging, discussing, teaching, learning, and listening with one another while still accepting and loving one another. And it's a difficult task. It's hard to do. And it requires us to accept the final point this morning, that God is bigger than that which divides us. God is more powerful than our separation. God is more capable than we are of seeing past our division. Uh, This is is a challenging one because our division oftentimes is man-made. It's what we do to ourselves. And and yes, some of it is man-made things that people bring in to the church and say, this is how it ought to be done. Someone may believe that it's okay to worship with instruments, and I may not believe that. But as much as I think they're bringing something into Scripture to accept that, my saying I want to separate from them on that basis is also bringing something into Scripture that is not there. Because Paul acknowledges the differences and the, the even disagreements on doctrine with other people, and he still calls them brother, and he still acknowledges them and accepts them and writes to them in love. So which one of us is bringing in something man-made when we divide over some of these issues? Both of us in some cases, or one of us in another. This has been going on for a long time, by the way, in our movement. Um, We have a principle that we've held to for quite a while. It's a principle of exclusion, which does not make any logical sense, but it's one we hold on to, and it involves the silence of Scripture. Where the, we, we speak where the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent, right? Well, a couple of great preachers in our history, back in the 1800s, uh, J.W. McGarvey was one of them, and Moses Lard was the other, and you think you have a tough life? Try having a last name like Lard. But Moses Lard and J.W. McGarvey both opposed instrumental music. And they, they stated that the basis for their opposition to that was that the Bible doesn't speak to it, and therefore it's not authorized. Both of those men also accepted the practice of supporting mission societies, which divided our fellowship in the early 1900s and the late 1800s, and they defended their position saying, the Bible doesn't say anything about mission societies, therefore it's okay. We've been doing this for a long time, this basis of silence. Let me use an illustration. And I will say up front, if you've seen this before, or if those watching have seen this before, I am borrowing this from someone else, okay? But it's an excellent illustration. I want to share it with you. We're going to use these chairs. This chair is the person that goes to a church that worships with instruments. But I don't go to that church. I wasn't raised in that church. I was raised in this church that doesn't worship with instruments that uses a cappella singing only. And I say to this guy, you know, I love you, and I like you. I think you're a good guy, but, but you worship with instruments, and I can't find anything in the Bible that authorizes the use of instruments in worship, so I can't have fellowship with you. I can't have unity with you. If you would just give up your man-made addition with these instruments, I could have unity with you. That's how we do unity, by the way. 
That's how Alexander Campbell even did unity. If, we, if you would just give up your thing and practice like me, then we have unity. All right. You know, I was just telling this guy over here what a shame it was that he accepts instruments in worship. Because if he would simply give up those instruments, I could have unity with him. You know, I'm glad you said that. It's good to see that you stand for truth. But, you know, I don't see anything in the Scripture that authorizes a praise team. And you use a praise team at your church. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with a praise team. That's just a, an aid to our worship. That's just something that we use to help us worship better. Yeah, well, I don't see anything in Scripture that authorizes it, and therefore, I can't have unity with you. I can't fellowship with you until you give up your praise team. I'm going to have to make room up here for all these chairs, all these churches. Now, this chair is broken, but it belongs to the brother that looks at this one and says, you know, I was hearing you talk to this fellow down there, and you were telling him about the scriptural, scriptural authority for the things he's doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You see, I was trying to tell this brother down here that until he gives up his instruments and until he gives up his praise teams, I can't have unity with or fellowship with them. Well, I'm really glad to hear there's sound brethren like you still in our world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't find authorization for having eight song leaders. In fact, I, I, we, we teach these things in our Sunday school classes. Did you say Sunday school classes? Well, now there's nothing in my New Testament that authorizes Sunday school classes as a part of our church. Well, now, it's just a good way to engage the children and teach the, our young people about Scripture. Well, I'm sorry, I don't see that in my New Testament. I can't have fellowship with you or unity with you until you give up your Sunday school. We're only broken guy right there. You know, I couldn't help but over here, over there, you talking to that guy about his Sunday school classes, I think that's really good that you are a sound proponent of the truth because it's a slippery slope. You start with Sunday school classes, and the next thing you know, you've got instrumental music. Oh, I know. I feel the same way. In fact, I'm going to be teaching this same lesson to the board of directors at the children's home that we support. Did you say a children's home? You support a children's home out of the church budget? I don't find anything in my Bible that authorizes the support of children's homes in that kind of cooperative fashion. I can't have unity with you. I can't fellowship you till you give up your support of those children's homes. How you doing? Good to see you. I, I see you're a member of the Church of Christ. Yeah, I am. One true church. You know, I was hearing you talk to this fellow down there about his supportive orphans' homes, and I appreciate that you stand for truth, but I was visiting your church when I was out of town, and I noticed that you all, you use multiple cups when you have the Lord's Supper. Now, I read the New Testament, and I see that the Lord took one cup. He took the cup. And he blessed it. And I can't 
handle these, you, you digressives, you liberals, using multiple cups in your service. I'm afraid that I can't have fellowship with you until you give up this practice of multiple cups. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you for speaking the truth in love to these brethren down here. Isn't it terrible how divided our brotherhood is becoming over all of these things? How, how much trouble we're in because of all this, these new additions that people are bringing in. I know. It's a shame. Preachers don't stand up and preach against instrumental music and praise teams. They don't stand up in opposition to Sunday schools and children's homes. They don't preach against multiple cups. My preacher says that we're in real trouble. Your preacher? You mean you pay someone to be your preacher? Are you one of these located preacher churches? I tell you, I don't see anything in my New Testament about that. It's a slippery slope. Today, located preachers. Tomorrow, instrumental music. Now, this seems pretty silly. But our movement has divided on every single one of these issues. And you can put one more up here. This chair is for the brother that won't fellowship this chair because he worships at a building. And he doesn't see any evidence in his New Testament that the early church worshipped in a building. For hundreds of years, the church did not meet and worship in a building. But you see, the same brother who is liable to the charge that the church didn't worship with instruments for hundreds of years is also liable to the charge that they didn't worship in buildings for hundreds of years. Our motto has always been, we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. But the truth of the matter is, we have spoken where the Bible is spoken and where the Bible is silent, we've had a lot more to say sometimes. The question is not whether these things are acceptable or right. We have to discern that and we have to figure that out sometimes and we have to work together to do so. The question is, will the unity of the church be held hostage to the lowest common denominator of biblical interpretation? Or will we do as the scripture teaches us and embrace one another in tolerance and love because God puts the unity of his children above all else? Now, I don't agree with all of the sentiments expressed by these good people that these chairs represent. But I don't know that it's my job to exclude them from the family of Jesus Christ, though I may have things to learn or to teach with them. And that's the question when we ask, where are we going that needs to be answered? Are we going to do as Christian read the words of Christ in the garden, when he prayed that we would all be one, that we would be in him, that we would be with him and the Father, that we would remain united as they are united, are we going to fulfill that prayer of Christ or are we going to frustrate it? That's the question at the heart of where we're going. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you that we need to start worshiping with instruments or doing anything different than we're doing now. What we need to do is recover and restore the attitude that the New Testament teaches about the acceptance of those who believe.
the fellowship with those even whom we disagree with because God wants his children to gather together. And the things that we've studied in this series that make us different, we should celebrate and continue in because we have arrived at those conclusions in honest fashions and in belief that we want to please God by following his word. But we are not alone in this world and we do not have a monopoly on the truth. And we can sort all these things out and we might even teach a thing or two that needs to be taught. But we need to do it with a spirit of unity. And as Paul puts it, the important thing is grace expressing itself in love. That's what we want to be about. That's who we are. That's who we've been. And it's who we should continue to be. And I hope that in doing so, we might redeem our name. That we might be seen as the people who are celebrated for the things that make us unique. Maybe even seeing that those unique things are worth others adopting and following. But that we should be a people who are focused on the truth of God's word and the love of one another. All those who profess Jesus Christ and a belief in him. Jonathan's going to lead us in a song this morning. And as we're led in that song and as I find a way to escape this stage... If there's any one of you who needs prayers, any one of you who needs encouragement, any one of you who needs to find yourself in Christ, then we offer an opportunity to you to make that happen this morning as we stand and as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at MonroeWICOC at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.